Dustin Custom Car Care. All right, good morning and welcome. You've got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Sarah, how are you this morning? I'm World good, okay? yes. How about you? I'm doing all right. Uh, looks like we're going to get a little taste of winter again, Ugh. or they're at least forecasting it, I suppose, which it is, you know, mid to late January at this point. So it it, it is the season. Uh, we have been seeing quite a big influx of you know, older vehicles, people getting ready for winter, and I'm seeing kind of a swing. Now, Sarah and I, we've talked a lot about, you know, kind of taking good care of your car and getting many, many miles out of it. And I'm seeing a huge influx in the shop, which, you know, is really kind of where my mindset comes from as as well. You know, when we talk about my personal vehicles, I've got a 7.3 liter uh, Ford Excursion. It's an 03. I love that rig. It's such a good rig. It's got 444,000 miles on it. I've got a 03 Chevy Duramax that's got 356,000. And then the service truck that I run through through the shops were just a little over, I think, about 213,000 miles. And they're still very, very good rigs. So the reason that I'm bringing this up is you know, the point in my opinion, and this is just kind of my perspective I wanted to share with you all today, and I'm seeing and running into a lot of you folks in the shops, which is awesome, and I appreciate that greatly, and we take that super seriously, that people want to enjoy their vehicle for many, many years and miles after it's paid off and it's yours. You know, I think everybody knows about the big depreciation hit that when you buy a new vehicle and you drive it off the lot, you lose so much percentage or so many dollars of your purchase the moment that it leaves the dealership. And that is, for the most part, correct. The last few years, not really. Honestly, some of those have gone up in value because they've been so difficult to obtain new vehicles. And I think we're going to still continue to see that through 2023, in my opinion. But it is starting to at least get a little bit better on the used side of the world or the pre-owned market. And then, you know, hopefully at some point the supply chain starts to open back up and hopefully we can somewhat go back to normal. But my point of this is I, you know, the last few weeks as I see a lot of people at multiple locations that, that I get to work at, I see folks taking or bringing their older vehicles or, you know, maybe not their primary vehicle in. You know, a lot of families at this point, uh, you know, our family in general, we have to have a spare vehicle because if one of the kids' vehicles goes down and things happen, I mean, I'm a master certified technician for a couple of decades at this point, I would love to tell all of you out there that I have this magic eight ball or this, you know, way to forecast failures and breakdowns. And I can prevent a tremendous amount of them, but things happen. Things break. I'm, you know, I'd love to tell you I could see the future, but unfortunately, you know, I'm not quite at that point in my career. So, and that hopefully is a little jest there. But the point being is we have had a lot of folks bringing in the mid to late 90s vehicles, any of the mid to early late 2000s, you know, those vehicles now, when you think we're in 2023, you know, some of those vehicles, it doesn't seem like an older vehicle to me, but they're 20, 25, 30 years old, but they're still running and in good condition. And that really is my sweet spot, or I guess what I wanted to kind of talk about today. I'm not opposed to new vehicles. I'm not even opposed to all electric vehicles. There's some some pros and cons. We've aired a lot of that out. What matters to me is that after I make that purchase... And, you know, at this point, I've never bought a brand new vehicle. That's kind of on my bucket list at some point. But I want to be able to obtain a vehicle and it be 
you know, as dependable as possible and for me to be able to drive it for as many miles and years as possible. That's where the return or the offset of that depreciation comes from. And at some point, it actually has started going the other direction. You know, I was talking with a couple of the techs. We were working on a mid to late 90s Chevy pickup. And what those things are bringing right now is is pretty impressive, honestly. They're starting to rival even some of what the retail prices when they were new or pre-owned and, you know, a fairly late model vehicle back then. Those trucks are bringing big bucks. And the reason that they are is because the engineering that went into them, and I t- I, hopefully we talk about this enough, but I feel like we talk about it a lot. Those were very well refined machines. You still see them get decent gas mileage, fair to decent you know, power and performance if you're going to use them, as well as longevity and dependability. If you give it just a little bit of care and don't just completely drive it into the ground, those things run and drive so well. And I get it, you go in and they need ball joints or, you know, occasionally they have a transmission fail most of the time because it wasn't maintained properly. But, you know, you throw some water pumps at them, tune up once in a while, and you can drive the wheels off those vehicles. And it's just really a good quality vehicle. The beta testing or the, you know, kind of working the bugs out, if you will, has already been done. The legislation or the government during those years didn't put in a lot of big steps for or hurdles, if you will, for the manufacturers to have to figure new ways out to make things happen or reinvent the wheel, for lack of a better way to put it. So when I look at vehicles, even from my point of view for adding you know new vehicles to our, our, our fleet at this point, we have Two adult kids that are driving, uh, Stacy and I as well, our vehicles. I have a couple of different pickups for different things that uh, I use. So we have quite a few. And as I drive through town, I see a lot of people in our same boat where maybe they have, you know, three or four drivers in a household. They typically have a work vehicle and then a couple personal and then the kids' vehicles. So as I continue to think and talk with a, a lot of people out there, that are looking for vehicles for younger drivers or new uh, vehicles to replace their old ones, I get asked all the time, what's a good vehicle to buy? And that's a really loaded question. And typically what I steer people to is that mid to late 90s all the way up to about 2012. Those vehicles are really the sweet spot. Not all of them, so don't you know pin me down, oh, I bought... Uh, you know, some European 2002 import car and it's complete garbage. Well, if you're buying used European import cars, you're going to have a very uphill battle to keep that vehicle running. And that's just as straight as I can shoot you. If you have one and you've had great luck with it, I tip my hat to you. But I would I would wager in that most people that buy a used European import vehicle typically don't have good um, reliability. And that's one of my biggest things. When the kids go out there or Stacy goes out there to fire up the car or truck, whatever we're driving, I expect it to fire up and go. And when it doesn't, I take that real seriously. I don't want to be the, you know, the old adage that the mechanics cars are broken down or the roofers roof leaks or whatever. I want to make sure that they're in tip top shape because I really don't have a lot of time to go rescue them if they have, if they're broken down. So when I have folks ask me those questions that say, hey, what's a good vehicle to buy right now? There honestly are not a whole bunch of them. In my humble opinion, 
a lot of the smaller economy cars right now, because of some of the technology that is having or forced upon the manufacturers to overcome those hurdles I was talking about, have really decreased the reliability of the vehicles. And they're they're suffering. I'm not seeing them, you know, be able to get to 100, 200,000 miles without a significant amount of effort and financial commitment to those vehicles. You know, they get to 80,000. They have a plagued set of problems that are causing thousands of dollars to repair and deal with. And it's really a tough spot for somebody to be in. I mean, a lot of times I'm on the other side of it and having to basically bear the bad news to the owner of the vehicle. And I don't enjoy that. I mean, that's not something I like. I love automotive repair. I truly do. This is my chosen profession since I was a little bitty kid. And I really get, I guess, you know, my give back or, you know, after you put out all this effort is to getting vehicles back up and performing as good, if not better than they were when they rolled off the showroom floor and being able to give that to the customer in a confident manner and stand behind it for the next, typically most of our repairs are three years or 36,000 miles nationwide. So I, I got to make sure that we're doing what we need to. And if we're not, we deal with it head on. But my point being is that the later model vehicles are not standing up near as well to daily use, in and out use, and I'm not talking about abuse by no means, as the vehicles from the late 90s into the mid to late 2000s. You know, like I said, 2012 is really where a lot of those red tape or hurdles were enacted by whichever, pardon me, administration decided that they wanted to change either the EPA and don't get me wrong, I do enjoy clean rivers and, you know, no smog and et cetera. There is a balance here, though. Um, <clears throat> the EPA put in some things that really, if you look at the big picture, doesn't make any sense. It really, really doesn't. As well as the government put in these CAFE standards, and, and you know, which is the average fuel economy that the uh, the government says that the manufacturer needs to to meet. And kind of as a caveat there... A lot of the reason that some of these hybrid and EV vehicles were produced as as from a manufacturer, they actually did it at a loss, um, but it allowed them to pull their average fuel economy standards up enough to say, hey, we have these EV vehicles, so now we can sell our good uh, pulling or high-performance trucks typically that need to do the work, and they offset it. It was kind of like a net loss to make sure that uh, they could still continue to produce and sell their trucks, even though their their electric vehicles, really, they lost money. When you look at these new Chevy Bolts, it costs more to put a, uh, a battery in them than it does to buy the doggone car almost. But we do need to step into a break. I am going to share a story about somebody that was very dissatisfied with some of the service work we did after we come back from the break. Your complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. Welcome back. You got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Sarah had some folks that were pretty upset with me. Oh, no. What happened? So I'll try and condense this down a little bit. But okay. It was a beautiful little car. It had, I mean, to look at it, it was just absolutely immaculate. Really low miles. And they came in. We did some service for them. Did some exhaust repairs, which is not normal on a low miles car, but that'll lead kind of to the explanation of what kind of got us in this boat. And so I was dealing with a couple of different people that own the car and 
brought it in. We did mo- we had to build most of the exhaust back. We we have the skills and the the equipment that a lot of shops don't have, so I can build that and and manufacture it basically right there, you know, with whatever the application is. So we did that and sent it away and everything was good. We didn't really have any issue with the repair, but they ended up at a couple of different shops later for different things. I'm I'm not 100% sure why, but uh, long story short, nobody kind of showed them the car that they had purchased, and it had come from the New England area. It was a fairly late model car. I think it was anywhere from 2012 to 2016, something like that. And in this part of the country, we typically don't deal with a tremendous amount of rust and corrosion, which is wonderful from a mechanic side of things. I lived up north as a kid, and I can remember my dad fixing rust under warranty on Cadillacs which was crazy to me. Like, even the more I think about it, it's like, what? And so it got really kind of, I don't want to say contentious, but they were super upset with some of the things I had to say about their car. And that's fine. All I can do is report the news and we do a digital inspection. So I had good photos and video of all the service that we did. We had shared it with the customer, but sometimes that's not the same as being able to look at your car. So after quite a bit of effort, we were able to come to an agreement where the actual decision maker would come in and they had never seen the car. Well, I had seen it a couple of times and I knew the amount of rust and corrosion that was on the underneath side of this car. I think it probably sat somewhere that, you know, a lot of moisture was kind of held in. Um, do you ever see those car covers, Sarah, where people put like the, the tarp over the oh, car? Uh-huh. That is one of the worst things you can do to oh, a car. Oh, no kidding. And they market those as breathable and all kinds of mm-hmm. stuff. But if you've ever taken one of those off of a car that's been sitting, you'll see that it's almost like this greenhouse under the car. Like the grass will be very luscious and, you know, it holds moisture and, and uh, you know, all the bad stuff for a car in. And I think maybe that's what had happened to this car because the underneath of it was absolutely rusted, unbelievably oh. bad. And they had financed it, I think, and had payments on it. So that's really kind of where the contentious part of it, they're like, what do you mean? They didn't have a pre-purchase done. They didn't have anybody at the other shops, for some reason, explain and show them what was going on. So I got pretty insistent. They were pushing on us to, you know, basically do a bunch of stuff to make things right, in their opinion. And all that was kind of over the phone the first couple of times. And, and, you know, they were really upset because I was telling them something different than any of the other shops. And I said, look, I don't have anything I need to sell you on. You need to come down here and look at this. And they were very resistant to it. I actually took a week to set it up and, and get them to come back. But once I was able to raise it up and bring them in there and say, hey, you're seeing exactly what I'm seeing. And this car, I have some serious concerns about doing any, you know, significant repair to because the amount of collateral damage that's going to break due to the condition of the car is going to be pretty significant. And so that was really, you know, it was very contentious. They were really upset with us. But the moment that I, you know, put it up on the rack and had kind of what I consider an open door policy, you cannot be in the shop while I'm working on your car, but if it's something that's really important, I need to be able to show you. Does that make any sense? Yeah. You think I'm crazy here? No. So, okay, so what'd they do? Eventually, they decided, hey, it's not worth fixing, which is what I was telling them from the beginning. And they, we communicated this before we did any of the exhaust repairs, but they elected to fix it. And in the midst of this, it actually ended up developing a fuel leak 
And mm. so I'm like, hey, this is what's going on. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but the point that I bring up or I'm the reason I'm bringing this up is you need to have good dialogue with whoever it is your your service center is. If you're jumping from shop to shop to shop to shop to shop to shop, there's no consistency of care there. You know, it's, it's why people stick with a doctor that they like and have good rapport with is you need that doctor to know you and know kind of your baseline of what it is. And I'm not saying I got to fix everything out there. If you got a good mechanic that takes care of business, stay with them. That's my point. And so they had gotten all these. And that, I think, is what I ended up with was all their frustration from all the different information they were getting. And nobody was giving them a real clear idea and that's one of my biggest things is I want you to know everything that I know about your car. I feel like that's the only way that you can make a good informed decision. And essentially that's what I had to overcome was all those, you know, barriers or blocks that had been stacked up there and to get enough rapport that they would even come in and say, Hey, I need you to look at this car with me and then give an honest look. It you don't have to be a mechanic to see that it's rotted beyond repair. I mean, there was even portions where I had the car on a drive-on rack, which basically picks it up mm -hmm. from the tires. I can see where somebody else had picked it up from the lift points, and it had crushed part of the body in because oh. it was so broken down. And so I hate giving folks that news. I have saved a lot of folks with pre-purchase inspections and whatnot and, you know, had to overcome a lot of you know, frustration, I guess they're in a spot, you know, I'm assuming they're going to try and, and, you know, move the car down the road is what I would assume they're going to do. But my, my thought or my urging to them was, Hey, you need whatever car you end up next. You got to get somebody to look at it. If you don't want me to look at it, that's fine. I'm, I got plenty of cars to look at, thankfully. And I say that not in jest. I say that because it, I take this seriously and I, I don't, take that folks pick us to do our their automotive service lightly but i also have a standard that i'm going to uphold and if you're asking me and a lot of shops i think don't find out what that standard should be and they allow the customer to say yeah go and do this and this and this and then at the end of it they don't have a fixed car i don't see how that's good service if i come to you and i tell you something that you don't like to hear with your car i get that nobody likes that but i feel like that is my obligation to you as a consumer or customer to say, hey, this car is not worth fixing or this car needs a significant amount of work. What is your expectation with this car? There's pretty much not much that I can't fix, but sometimes it doesn't make any sense to fix it. Am I, am I way out in left field here? Am no, I, I feel so bad for them. I know. Ugh. I do too. I really do. I've been through that pre-purchase inspection. I know the, the frustration of having to have a new vehicle mm -hmm. and having to have it like yesterday. Yeah. I totally understand that, especially if you don't have a backup vehicle. Yeah. But I am a believer yeah. of a pre-purchase inspection. The husband did one. I did one. And we had several vehicles uh -huh. that were just completely rusted and corroded. And we got like the red flag mm -hmm. on a couple of them. And you guys were just very very thorough and said, no, do not buy this. Yeah. I mean, you can, but mm -hmm. you will be sorry. Mm -hmm. And that really helped me, you know, make a, a good conscious decision. And I think that I made a good one. I think the husband made a, a good one mm -hmm. whenever he purchased his vehicle yeah. and we haven't had any issues. Knock on wood. Um, you know, just small little minor maintenance things yeah. that need to be done. Um, but if I wouldn't have done that pre-purchase inspection, I probably would have been in there every week. <laughs> well, and, and I don't want that. And that gets really tough because 
once you own it, like the problems yeah. are yours. Yep. And that's really to your point, you know, that unfortunately we headed or fortunately, I guess in your guys' case, we headed some of those problems off before that you owned them. In this case, can you, I can't imagine. I mean, I, I've bought some pretty jankety vehicles over the years, but I knew I was getting, you know, a crummy deal and I was paying accordingly for that. So that's, that was kind of what I was aiming for, honestly. But one, it, when you brought that up, one of the vehicles you brought in, I thought was awesome. That little pickup truck that you guys looked at, I, it's the moment I saw it, I'm like, yeah, this is the one. And then centrally, it had a, a compromised frame due to rust and corrosion. And they wanted top dollar for that truck. Mm -hmm. And you guys would have owned that problem. That and would have been rough. And it was $12,000 to mm -hmm. fix. And they wanted 19000 for yeah, it. Or like 21000 yeah, I know. Could you just imagine if we would have paid that and then a couple months later mm -hmm. we needed it fixed? Oh, yeah. I don't even I can't even imagine. Or God forbid you guys got in a wreck because that's yes. the other thing of it. You know, maybe you didn't fix it or whoever bought it didn't fix it or didn't know about it to get it fixed. You know, it it just it really it gives me goosebumps as we're talking about it right now. I'm like, my goodness. So, you know, we don't have a crystal ball. I can't. I told the, the folks that we were looking. I said, I can't look inside the engine or transmission. I do have some really cool tools that will give me some information that not a lot of other shops have or or uh, have the ability to do. So it's not like I can guarantee that this car is great, but I can also head off a lot of cars that are obviously not great cars, regardless of how they look like in the parking lot or, you know, even how they drive sometimes. Since that one uh, we looked at for you guys, I've had several more of those vehicles in that the frame was compromised in it and nobody should be driving them. So we're down at the bottom of the hour. Sarah and I are going to step into a break. We'll be right back after this. Your complete car care solution, A1 Custom Car Care. Welcome back. you got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Talking about kind of keeping your vehicles on the road again. Um, you know, the big thing, nothing's getting cheaper. Sarah, have you found anything lately that is cheaper than it was three years ago? Can we talk about eggs for a second? You have chickens, right? I don't. But oh, okay. I, but... Stacy and I were just talking. She's like, uh, you need to build a coop because we need Yes. Eggs. I'm going to have to get into the egg production business. Yes. Because it's crazy out there. Yeah. No kidding. I've never been so thankful to have chickens. So how many do you guys have? Well, we started off with eight and then something got one of them. So mm -hmm. we have seven now. Okay. Well, you guys are still doing awesome. Yep. I think uh, that is on my to-do list probably the next month or so is to build a good chicken coop. I've had many of them, and we've raised chickens over the years. Um, have you bought feed lately for yeah, the chickens? Um, thankfully, it's not terrible. We do sell our eggs, oh, so we, we do. do get okay. a little return on investment nice. there. So it kind of offsets the cost. Okay. But yes, feed has also went up, too. Oh, my gosh. I bought, uh, we've got two cows, and we have a date that they're going to meet the old butcher here before too long. But even feed for the cows has been crazy. Yeah. So as we, you know kind of take a break from the cow production because we're going to be in pretty good shape with farm-raised beef for a while the chickens and i think i'm going to do some pigs as well that's going to be kind of my next go-to but you ain't a kidding the eggs are getting crazy as well as availability yes like there's times i don't see them and if you do see them you're going to pay like 50 cents to 70 cents per egg where it used to be eggs were one of the cheapest you know, best clean proteins that you could eat. Yeah. I think that the last time I purchased eggs, this kind of goes to show you the last time, I think they were like 
98 cents or something like that. Wow. And that was the last time I bought them. So I think for 18, if I remember right, as of now, they're around nine bucks for 18 eggs. Unbelievable. It is unreal. Not to mention, we used to always order the big, like five dozen or something uh-huh. from Sam's, which was pretty good eggs. I think it was like seven bucks. Mm-hmm. Not that long ago. Like we're talking the last two or three years. Now that if you can find it, it's it's well over 20. So, I mean, you're talking way more than, you know, double the inflation rate of eggs, which is crazy. And on top of that, the store-bought eggs are not as good. That's right. I love farm fresh eggs. They are Well, you know a farmer lady. There you go. Absolutely amazing. And then gas. Oh, my goodness. So I watched gas jump 20 cents Mm -hmm. over, I guess it was last weekend. So I know you've probably heard and been covering it here on KSGF. The China economy essentially is reopening right now. And that is going to drive up the global demand as well as people are lining their pockets with our money with the tax dollars. So they're also talking about, I don't, I need to probably know more about it before we talk about it on the show, but uh, some kind of a standardized tax because they're figuring out they're losing so much money with these electric vehicles, not paying gas tax, that they're going to do some kind of, I don't know whether it's going to be personal property related or some kind of flat tax for roads and bridges because they have pushed all this legislation for electric vehicles and then wait, oh, we're not getting our cut of the fuel sales now. So we're going to figure out how to tax you even more. Yes, I've heard of this, but I haven't actually done any research Mm -hmm. on it as well. But yes, heard of that. It is unbelievable. Like, (laughs) you know, we pay tax on stuff that we've owned for years with personal property here in Missouri, which I think is a farce. And I realize we need to pay some taxes. I'm not saying no taxes, blah, blah, blah. I I like good bridges and roads. Um, I like good school systems. um, But... At some point, how much tax is enough? I am officially the old man, and I'm not all that old, by the way, uh, at least yet. I feel old some days, but I'm not the. I, I'm officially the old man that just can't stand taxes anymore. It's unbelievable the amount of garbage that they're pushing through as well. And it's maybe not even that I'm so upset about paying the taxes. It's that I'm upset about what they do with the tax money. And there's no accountability. That's why the private sector is typically more efficient than any big government side of it, is there's no accountability. There's nobody saying, hey, we worked sweat tears for those dollars. You need to use them accordingly. And I'm getting down on a soapbox, but at this point, I don't care. I think this is important. That, hey, how about you spend our money wisely? Or, hey, on top of that, how about if it's cheaper than we thought it was going to be? You, you do something either better or disperse the taxes back to us. Something like that. I get it that it's probably not that simple. It's just that I'm so frustrated with the way things are going at the moment. And I imagine I'm not the only one out there. That just is like, really, how many more taxes can you misappropriate and do stupid things with before somebody has enough and says, hey, this is enough. You know, this is not okay anymore. And I'm not saying it needs to be a tea party thing. I'm not, you know, I'm not, not not saying that, I guess, either. But it just it just absolutely amazes me. If we ran our company and our business like that, we would not be in business. So there's no consequences at this point. As they talk about having to raise the debt ceiling again, 
they have spent, I think they raised it like $100 trillion or $100 billion, something like that here, not that long ago, I think within the last seven years. They just kicked the can down the road. At some point, the the uh, the reaper is going to be knocking on the door saying, hey, we want our money back as well. If you look at our national debt versus the uh, inflation that's gone up as well as the interest rate, the GDP, the debt or the interest on the debt, I guess is what I'm trying to say here, is going to get to the point where it is going to be so much interest that we're quote unquote paying, you know, I think uh, it may have been Nick's show where they were talking about credit cards and they had, you know, put a comparison to, you know, basically you're using the credit card and you're asking for a, a rate increase, but you're only paying the minimums. And now as the national interest rate goes up, those minimums and the interest that goes on it, I mean, you're not making any headway because all you're paying is interest. There's no principal at this point. So I'm assuming maybe their plan, and this is just speculation on my point, is to just absolutely run the system as far as they can and collapse it and then pick up the pieces afterwards. That's going to be real tough for you and I. I hope there's a lot of folks out there, and and you know, typically when you talk about preparedness, a lot of folks put their head in their sand or think, oh, you got a tinfoil hat. But you had better be making sure that your house is in order, and I'm trying to take my own medicine here, and ready that if things do get a little bit tougher, that you are able to uh, sustain or, or, you know, deal with some of the pressures that come with as the dollar becomes weaker and weaker, or it doesn't get you as much, which essentially tomato, tomato at this point in time. But, you know, to Sarah's point in the egg discussion, it takes so many more dollars to buy those eggs because the dollar is weaker than it once was. And it's going to continue that. So, you know, when you think about buying or, you know, using or utilizing credit, and I'm, again, trying to take my own medicine here, you had better factor that in. You had better figure out a way to either move or, you know, be able to adapt to the new prices and take care of business, as well as if you have assets already, and this is kind of where my mindset comes from, that are paid off and they're yours. Take care of them. You know, if I have a piece of equipment, whether it's a tractor or log splitter or, you know, a generator that I haven't cared for in a while, and I'm being transparent, I usually tell you guys, oh, I didn't start my generator enough and the fuel went bad and I had to tear and rebuild the carburetor and clean the fuel system, or God forbid, if it's too bad because of the ethanol, I've got to get a new carburetor. You know, that's all stuff that I should have taken care of and been more proactive. And I got a list. On my, uh, in my kitchen, I have a dry erase board and I've had to go to lists to write down the stuff that I need to make priorities and then shuffle that list up as I get things done because I need to take better care of our equipment because I don't want to be replacing it because I neglected it or I didn't get as many years of use out of it as possible. I mean, you look at some of these craftsmen over the years and craftswomen that have taken care of some of those tools. They got a lifetime of use out of certain tools. My grandfather's probably one of the best examples of this. That man takes immaculate care of pretty much everything he's got. I aspire to be better at that because he set that bar, and I at least know that that's what's possible out there. You know, I bet he's got tools and equipment that he's had most of his adult life, and they still work as good, if not better, than... You know, when he when he got them, he had when I was a young kid, he had a little side business where he pushed snow in the St. Louis area. 
And I can remember his second Bronco. I barely remember his first Bronco, but he had a full-size Bronco that he pushed snow with. And typically vehicles that push snow are absolutely clapped out and beat to death. Not his. I can remember him waxing the underneath side of the hood on the Bronco. And when he sold it, I guarantee, and I don't know what he got out of it, doesn't matter. I guarantee he got top dollar. And anybody that came and looked at it would have been a fool not to buy that vehicle, even though it had really been used and worked. But he had taken such doggone good care of it that it was an investment for him and it wasn't used up when he decided to sell it. That's where a lot of folks I feel like get sideways is they neglect it, they neglect it, they neglect it, and they're not prepared to step into a new piece of equipment, new vehicle, fill in the blank with whatever you've got. They neglect it, neglect it, neglect it, and then when they're in a spot and they're not ready to step into a new vehicle, it gives up on them, and it's so bad in disarray that it can't and or doesn't make sense to be repaired. However, the flip side of that is if you take care of it when you are ready to get rid of it, you get almost all of your money, if not sometimes more, back out of it. That makes a lot of sense to me. But we are up against another break. Sarah and I will be right back after this. Your complete car care solution. A1 Custom Car Care. All right. Welcome back. We've got just a little bit of time. Sarah and I need to wrap this up in a nice little bow and kind of make sense of this. Sarah, do you think I am like the the uh, you're going to hell if you don't take care of your vehicle guy? Is you that know, kind of me? The uh, fire and brimstone? So I've learned over the years the importance of taking care of my vehicle. Uh, you know, I was one of those people that didn't really do the maintenance on it. Whenever something made a sound or something was wrong or I needed my oil changed, I would take it in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now I am definitely one of those people whenever you recommend something and then tell me why you recommend it. I take it very serious and I think about, okay, well, maybe I can't do it right now, but maybe I'll come back in a couple mm-hmm. of weeks and, and do it. And I really think that that helps with the longevity oh, yeah. of my vehicle. And I see it as it's the second biggest investment that I'll make. Oh, you know, yeah. my home is my first and I take very good care of my home. I take mm-hmm. very good, serious care of all of the repairs and maintenance and I mm-hmm. try to take care of it immediately. And I'm the yeah. same way with my vehicle now. I mean, the proof's in the pudding, essentially, is the best way I can put that. You know, I see folks, I see all kinds. I see some people that do no maintenance and no care, and then they, you know, are shocked and in, in a, you know, stressed environment when it breaks down or doesn't start, as well as I see folks take immaculate care out of it. And those vehicles are amazing what they'll do, even 20, 30, 40 years old. I mean, still great vehicles. And then I see in the middle, you know, I I probably consider myself maybe in the middle. I typically buy vehicles that have been abused or neglected. And so I'm dealing with a lot of, you know, past indiscretions, if you will. It's like, oh, man, if they took care of it. I uh, built a little truck for me here a couple of years ago. I bought it. It had significant engine problems. I knew that. So I pulled the cab on it. I did a tremendous amount of work on the engine, really got it just dialed in like, better than it was when it was new, if if that makes any sense. And I was like super happy. So I drive that vehicle and I'm loving it. It had a great stereo in it. It was full drive. It was exactly what I wanted. Leather interior. I was like, yeah, finally got something. I'm, you know, and I built it. It took me a couple months to build it. I drove that vehicle 800 miles and I'm leaving the driveway one day and the transmission out of nowhere only has first gear. And so I pulled the pan and it had a significant breakage inside of it, but it was the neglect of you know, the last 20 years of of owning this vehicle that caused that transmission to fail. And then the flip side, I've got a dear friend of mine. Guy's awesome. He's been a business owner many times here in Springfield. 
guy is just a rock star, one of the coolest. You ever meet those cool people? Mm-hmm. You're just like, man, a dude or that lady's awesome. He's had one. I think his is an O three uh, F three fifty Power Stroke. I mean, rock solid truck. He's had that truck long as I've known him. Still running factory transmission in it, doing his thing. But he makes sure and gets it serviced every. 15 to 30,000 miles, depending on whether he's towing his camper a bunch. And that is worth so much to be able to see that, that, hey, you know, the thing's still hanging in there, still working for a living, if you will, doing such a great job. And it's a beautiful truck on top of that. You know, there is that. uh, Have you ever heard of the term second kind of cool? Have you ever heard that? Mm -mm. Second kind of cool. And and, uh, I guess to give credit where credit's due, Nothing Fancy is a YouTuber that I've watched for 100 years. He's a gear reviewer. Super cool guy, but he's the first person I ever heard that term. And that's kind of the the it factor. It's like when you look at a car or, you know, a truck or a house, you're like, oh, man, that thing is really nice. So that's super cool. That's the second kind of cool. It, like, has the aesthetic thing that you're looking for, whether it's a, you know, for me, typically it's a lifted truck with big, sweet tires on there, good exhaust. That's that second kind of cool, tinted windows. And that matters, that matters. Do you think I'm crazy for that? Or you just no, want something to be all. dependable? Well, I mean, a little bit of both. Okay. If I could have both. If you could have yeah. a vehicle, like money's not an option. I'm putting you on the spot here. What would you pick that's like, oh my gosh, I love those cars. Do you have one of those? I do. And you're going to make fun of me. You I, think I will? You I, think I would make fun of you? Absolutely. I would. I I'm want, just saying. I want, <laughs> I want a beetle bug so bad. <sighs> like an old one? Yes. Like okay. an old school right. one. So I could give you that one. The Beetlebug, the old school one, pretty good vehicle, really. I mean, they had their corks and their weirdness, but they did some cool stuff. There's some really neat technology. I mean, those are air-cooled engines. They Nothing sounds like those hardly. I mean, they have their own aesthetic, like, combustion sound. Uh, I've got one of my neighbors. He's got one, and it's a beautiful, beautiful little car. The new ones... Not such great cars. Yeah, they no, are. I awful. like the old. Yeah, I just I don't know. So what about the Beetle buses? Did you like the old yes, Volkswagen buses? I, you know what? I just like Volkswagen. Oh really? Mm-hmm. All right. Das Auto. Das Auto. Uh, I hadn't seen that commercial in forever. And Ryan, that works at uh, A One, he pulled that up and showed that commercial to me in a while back. I laughed. That was such a corny. Like, <laughs> but it. I mean, it definitely it stuck. It was a good uh, branding campaign, I guess. But. You know, the the old Volkswagens, uh, they tell stories, you know, how I like my CBs, but supposedly back in the day, if you had a CB or that was really running a lot of power, if they keyed up, which is, you know, where they push the push to talk mic button next to a Volkswagen, there was so much power, it would kill the ignition system and those cars would stall. Huh. And apparently I, I what I understand is, you know, they, you know, pull over to the side of the road, give it just a second, let the truck go on. And then the car would start right back up and go. If somebody out there knows whether that actually happened, I would love for them to give us some feedback. I think that was probably back in the 70s or maybe 80s when, you know, those were still pretty common vehicles. You don't see them on the road that much anymore. Um, Have you ever seen the camper Volkswagen buses where the roof lifts up? I don't think so. I'll have to look it up really quick. They were super cool. There was a small shop owner in Marionville that had one. And it had like a canvas side, and I think it lifted up. It was a camper package. And so the roof lifted up to where you could walk around in there pretty easy. I think it maybe had a sink and a bed in there, if I remember right. But it was I just thought that was the coolest thing, that you had your van. It was a camper van, 
the top pulled up so you know a tall fellow like me maybe could walk around in there and uh it was just really really neat as well as some of the beetles i saw a video i think out there on youtube where they put like a like a fifth wheel or a gooseneck hitch on a beetle like built it into the roof because the they were pretty tough structural vehicles and they could completely turn that car around under the gooseneck part of the camper trailer that they had hooked it to, which I thought was crazy because the towing capacity of those vehicles has got to be like 50 pounds or something. But it's neat to have that it factor, you know, that car. They're making new ones. What? Oh, I'm sorry. I know dun, you're talking about. No, you're bring totally, it on. I know you're talking about something else. But yeah, they're making the new Volkswagen camper vans. Um I have Car, no idea. I also did not know. Car Scoops says that uh, they're expected to debut after 2025 in the United States. Oh, yeah, that would be pretty neat. I hope mechanically and electrically they're better built vehicles than the other ones. Not like the old ones, but like the later it, model Volkswagens. They're called the California Camper Van. Hmm. The camper van thing has really become this hot item. Yeah, it really has. It, it has. Uh, we've got one of those little Honda Elements. Have you ever seen those, like the little SUV mm-hmm. Hondas? People are making those into camper vans, and there's speculation that Honda may re-release the Element. I hope they do. Uh, we have a 05 model, I think is what year our Element is. Uh, we have a lot of vehicles, so don't judge me for not really knowing exactly what year all of our vehicles are. I'm pretty close, so... The uh, they're awesome too. You know, have that utility space, that open area. I mean, heck, there's a lot of folks living in them, not because they're homeless, but they choose a nomadic lifestyle or they work remote wherever they go. And having the extra capability of a vehicle—that's, I guess, probably a whole nother segment. But I love broadening the horizons or the capability of a vehicle. A lot of times, why I choose vehicles is its true capability, whether it's towing capacity payload, whether it's gas mileage, if it's a gas saver car, the lighting system, winches, lifting it, better tires, better capability, better performance. Um, Opening the horizons of what you can do with a vehicle is so awesome, in my opinion. That's kind of that second kind of cool for me is that, hey, what can I do with this vehicle? What doors does it open? Can I tow 20,000 pounds with it? Can I get 40, 50 miles to the gallon with it? Can I put some sweet LED lights on there and tint the windows, you know, and and fill in the blank? Can I put an onboard generator or a power inverter? Um, You know, what can I do with this rig and how is it going to impact my ability to get things done? You know, I love the fact uh, our excursion, we have had a power, a 2000 watt power inverter in it since we owned it. I was one of the first things I did to it. So you can have AC 110 charging out of there. And if you want to run, you know, some different equipment in there, it's there and it's mobile. I love that. That's a big deal. You going to buy you a camper van? <laughs> I really want one. Do I'm, you? I'm over here on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. The ones that are in kind of rough shape, they start at like 8,000 yeah. used, but then like the ones that have been refurbished from start to finish they can go up to like forty thousand. Mm-hmm. dang that's a few beans they're called uh wagons wagons because <laughs> they're vans but they're volkswagens oh wagons i see where that goes <laughs> i hadn't connected the dots i'm glad you explained that but yeah you know that second kind of cool so hopefully whatever vehicle you got hopefully you like it 
Do you like your vehicle? I absolutely love mine. And Good. believe it or not, we're out of show already. Nice. Well, if you're out there in Radio Land, you have a question or a comment, you can reach out to us on our talk and text line. That phone number is 417-447-5743. Or you can reach out to us on our social media at 1041KSGF. Dustin, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend. You as well. Be safe. Bye.